How do you know you're up to date? When you follow EMS World, you answer that question with confidence. Because when we say EMS World, we mean the whole world of EMS. The remaining question for you is how will you stay up to date? In print, online, at EMS World Expo, the world's largest EMS dedicated conference, and now in a podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of EMS World Podcasts. I'm your host, Mike McCabe. Well, I hope that everyone is enjoying the 2020 EMS World Virtual Expo. So much thought and effort has gone into this so that nothing would be lost with respect to content. We have incredible lectures, classes, and guests this entire week. And I'm very excited today to have the privilege of speaking with one of this year's Expo Award recipients, the Sun City Center Emergency Squad from Sun City Center, Florida, this year's winner of the 2020 Volunteer Service of the Year Award. And with me today is Chief Mike Bardell and Assistant Chief Robin Watt. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. So guys, you know, it's a privilege to have you on here. And number one, again, congratulations on this award. It is a great honor to your agency. And I want to throw out a few numbers. You serve a community population of approximately 33,000 people. You handle approximately 5,000 calls for service per year, 1,000 wheelchair van runs to physicians' offices. You have approximately 400 volunteers, of which 140 are EMTs and EMRs. So the listeners may say, that sounds great, but what sets them apart from any other volunteer agency? Well, then I will bring to you the final statistic, which is your average member age is 72 years old. And to me, that's the most fascinating part about this entire story. I think it's fantastic and it's amazing. And as soon as I heard about it, I knew I needed to find out more about this. So Mike, I ask you in your own words, why is this agency so unique and so special? Well, it's unique because number one, we don't charge for anything that we we do. It's all community supported and has been for 56 years. Uh, the community gets all of our money for our ambulances, the equipment that we use. Uh, if somebody told us we needed to build tomorrow, we wouldn't have an idea how to do it. We don't have a billing department. So we, everything we do is for free when we go out there. Uh, people know that. And it's hard for me to believe that you would, uh, that any kind of business could function if you weren't delivering a quality service for this long. It's great. And, you know, just to hear that, we wouldn't even know how to bill. It's sort of refreshing to hear. By no means do I want to minimize your role in the community by saying that this is a feel good type story. Because, Robin, truth be told, you run a very robust agency. There are many things that you're doing in that community, not just answering emergency calls, but preventing cases within the community, correct? Absolutely. We try to do as much education in the community as possible. And really, just in the past few years, we have really upped the ante on that. Initially, we were doing fall prevention starting around 2007, but since Chief Bardell has come on, we've been doing health symposiums that address different issues like diabetes, cardiac care, mental health, um, fall prevention. So all of those things are, are critically important because our community is a senior community. We are made up primarily of seniors. Right. And with that, 
you have 400 members, as I said, and 140 of them are EMTs or emergency medical responders. How do you make this work with, with the age that you are and respectfully stated, how do you go out and answer the calls, which are usually done by a younger age group? Well, number one, we do and we operate as a crew and we have three people and there's three people have to be on an ambulance before we roll. And the reason for that is our age. We, we work together. Uh, so we try and make sure nothing is missed. We also try, we're older, so we don't have the muscle mass that a lot of younger ones have. So we have to be smarter about how we do something and lifting them. And we use physics and we use common sense about how to get somebody up off of the ground. And because 42% of our calls are falls, we need to know how to pick somebody up and not hurt them and not hurt ourselves in, in the means of this. So when we do a lot of training. We train every day that somebody is on. We have weekly training that they go through, and we physically do the training. We do uh, CPR every six weeks. So we have a robust training program, and we, we know it's a pain, but people go through it, and they, as long as they're positively engaged, they, they do it. And I would like to add to that, if I may, that uh, we also get the best and usually the newest equipment available because our community support is so tremendous. And when some new piece of equipment comes out that helps us maintain the life of our volunteers and primarily the life of our backs, uh, our, our administration is pretty quick to check those things out and make sure that we have the tools we need to do the job. Yeah. So I guess you could say that wisdom, great wisdom comes with maturity, right? And you've been around, you've been around the block and you know how to get these jobs done the right way. And, you know, to that fact, it's not, you know, many agencies, many volunteer agencies uh, do their job. They get a call for service and, and they go out and they get the job done. They complete the job and they go back home to their daily duties or their, their regular life. You folks are intimately involved in the planning and the mitigation efforts on a state level. Mike, can you touch upon that? Uh, well, there's state conferences four times a year, and we go to those uh, because there's different things that happen that we want to stay involved with with the state and with the other ambulance associations. We also attend monthly meetings for trauma uh, with the county. Uh there's just a lot of meetings like that. We try and attend them all, but we have a lot of people involved in it. Um, it's, there are several people that go to different committee meetings and stuff, and then we try and wrap it up and all talk to each other. Yeah, I think that's a huge component of success is that coordination factor and mitigating through coordination. I think that's great. And Rob, and I know that we had spoken about some initiatives that were done with you know, mitigating against disasters, especially down in your area with hurricanes and some of the senior facilities. How do you go about mitigating potential disaster and maintaining communications with those facilities? I, I'm going to let the chief address this because he was really involved in setting up our disaster communications network here in the community. So, Mike, why don't you address that issue? Okay. Um well, first of all, we have 13 different facilities in our in our community here. So we have over 2,000 people in some stage of a facility. So if communications go down, if you lose cell phone service and you lose uh, landline service, how are people going to get a hold of emergency services? 
we have are part of the national contract with FirstNet, uh, which means they have to have cell phone service restored back to us within 14 hours after an event. And so we would have cell phone service to anybody we wanted to. Uh, and what we did was we started a radio network, which all the facilities and the different uh, pods that we have out here, we have 23 radios out. Uh, those will be issued out to them before the event. And then we will monitor it in the dispatch center at the emergency squad after the event. And we would be able to take that call. They would tell us what they need on the radio. And then we would transmit that this is our cell phones, whether it's a sheriff, uh, whether they need HVR, they need us, uh, they need something else. Uh, then we would probably be able to try and help them. But if they were on their own uh, in a facility, what are you going to do with all those people and you have all these uh, potential emergencies that happen? Uh, we just think it's a very, uh, very good move for us to be proactive in it uh, because this community is going to be on our own for a certain period of time. Uh, and you've got to be able to self-support. And that's what we're going to try to do. You see, these are the types of things that are setting you apart, you know, and the reason why you received this award and you should celebrate it because these are things that you're doing that some paid professional agencies haven't done. And I, I think it really bears recognition amongst the EMS agencies nationwide to say, look at how proactive you are and look at all these amazing things you're doing. And, uh, you know, this is a volunteer agency, as I said, with an average age of 72 years old, and you're just going along as if this is a paid professional organization that, you know, it does this on a daily basis, which is what you're doing. And again, kudos to you on that. And I want to pivot for a minute just towards the training, because I know a huge portion of your existence within this agency is training and not just your own personnel, but civilians. And so you had spoken to me, Robin, about being part of a training agency in one of the local community colleges and how successful that is. Can you touch upon that a little bit? Yes, absolutely. Um, Hillsborough Community College has the local emergency medical technician program, and they are really about three or four miles away from us. So what happens is when their students need to get their field training, they usually do most of their rides with us. And so they become a part of our crew. We end up with four people on the ambulance. And uh, certainly we love having the young people come with us, but it's, it's a vital part of training people and having them move on in their careers. But I, I'd also like to point out the other training we do in the community through Stop the Bleed programs. We offer CPR in the community to community groups if they want to set up a CPR training. But uh, Mike, talk about the Stop the Bleed issues that we did a couple of years ago and how many kits we, we handed out in the community. Uh, the state got a grant and uh, I was able to get uh, quite a few of these kits. So I issued one out to um, the different facilities that we have and the big uh, condo association so they could put it in each one of the clubhouses that they have. Uh, because if you have an arterial bleed, you only have minutes to live. So the farther you have to go away from one of these kits and a tourniquet uh, and knowing what to do, it could be cost of life. And we have trained 600 people in this community in the last two years. 
you know, I'm shaking my head here. I wish you could see, but it's, it really is. It, it's just so awesome to hear all of the things that you're doing to be so proactive in the community. Well, Mike, Mike, hit on one, if you, if you don't mind, if I, I what Robin was saying about the EMTs. Yep. But we don't just do it. I mean, I, I really believe in that program because these young people, there's something that's been passed on to the squad here. I, I wish that I could take credit for it. But it's been passed down for decades here, and that's listening to the patient. And that's one thing that we do probably better than anybody else is listen to the person. And I tell you, regardless of whatever the outcome is, if you're listening to the patient and they know it, I don't see how that's going to make the situation worse. And we, when these young EMTs go out, and we're talking 19, 20-year-olds, we are giving them a skill they can keep for the rest of their life. And so we are really behind them learning that, and we want them to train with us. We know they're going to go out and get a job, but they need to have that skill of listening to people and trying to figure out what they need, not just be in a rush to get them somewhere. It's so true. You know, half the job is is the intangibles, right? Holding the patient's hand or listening or being a shoulder to cry on. You know, there's there's few things that we can do that are more important or more helpful to a patient than that. So that, that's very true. There's no question. Another point that I wanted to bring up is something that we're obviously dealing with now is is COVID. And obviously, you know, we were hit earlier up here in the Northeast, but then you went through your surge in Florida. And I wonder specifically how that impacted your agency, uh, obviously, given the age factor. Were you able to continue to go out there and answer calls? Were you directly impacted with COVID patients? And did you have any of your personnel become impacted or affected with COVID? Uh, and, I'll, and I'll ask that question to Robin. Uh, actually, I was going to pass that question to Mike because Mike has been really an integral part of our changing protocols on on how we handle these calls from the beginning. And initially, there were quite a few changes as we were learning how to deal with it. And so Mike was a very important part of making those protocol changes. And uh, he is in touch with the health department on a regular basis, finding out what cases we have in the community. So I'll let Mike address the rest of that. I'll be honest with you. In February, when this came out, and I think it was the 29th of February, uh, when I started learning about COVID, I wondered because of what was being said then and how it affected older people, um, if we would have to close the doors. Because obviously, if you're over 65, they were saying uh, at one point it was like a death sentence if you caught it. Um, so I was really concerned about it. But I can tell you, I circled it on the calendar that on the 12th of March, I figured out we were going to be okay. And the reason I figured out we were going to be okay is I had an honest conversation with the volunteers, and I found out that they agreed that even though the virus is here and they could be at personal risk for themselves to some degree, people are still going to fall, people are still going to get sick, they're going to have a heart attack, and we need to be out there for the community. So they wanted to be there, and while there are some that are directly affected by health, that they could be, their immune system could be so compromised, uh, they had to call off. And we have had a long-standing thing of that where if they felt like they needed to do that, there was no hard feelings for it. They needed to do it. Um, and and But it has worked out well for us. People have stepped up. They have just done an amazing job, and I can't uh, brag on them enough. And we have not had any of our volunteers 
come down with coronavirus as a result of their being a volunteer. That's great. And how, how have you handled it with PPE? Were, were you able to appropriate enough PPE to go out there to have them on the units in case you, you were faced with somebody with being possibly COVID positive? Uh, what we have done is we, we started with the Montana mask. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yes. Uh, it's a 3D printed mask. And we had one of those made up for everybody in the squad. So we were actually able to leverage our inventory PPE in 95s five times. <laughs> and then they can also be cleaned 20 times. So uh, we were able to extend our inventory quite a bit. We're going to see if you can come up here and help us in the Northeast. <laughs> <laughs> it's all difficult to get, uh, but we, we have been able to get it. Um, we try not to care, uh, transfer COVID. Uh, we let the county do it uh, because if we take it out and we get it caught here, it could be a real problem for us. But we still go out and evaluate, um, and unless we think somebody's have it, but uh, I guess we take a little different stand. If we think somebody has been exposed to it, I take the crew off until they're tested and the results come back in because I don't want it to spread. Uh, so we're, we're, we're proactive about it, but the reasons are pretty simple for us. And the county is really good. Um, we tell them what we can't do in some of this stuff. They absolutely agree with it. They understand. Um, and we have done some stuff that we didn't do before uh, to assist them. Because this is a change and a, and really a drain on everybody's system. There's no doubt, physically and emotionally, you know, there is a drain, and and obviously psychologically, not knowing, you know, the the hidden beast that's out there that could potentially attack you, and you've handled it beautifully. I, I will, I I honestly am sitting here in awe of how well you've done, and and I think that all of your efforts, you know, speak volumes as to why you're the recipient of this year's Voluntary MS Service of the Year Award. And this is not the first time you've received acknowledgments. You know, President Bush recognized the squad back in 1988 as one of his points of light. In June 2013, you were selected by the Florida Council of, of Aging as the top EMS agency in the state. These awards and accolades are nothing new. And truthfully, I can understand exactly why you're getting these awards on a regular basis. So kudos to both of you and to your entire agency. And before I let you go, I have to know, we know that 72 is the average age of your of your members. Who is the oldest member within your agency? Oh my goodness. Uh, that would probably be hard to say. I know that uh, we have some EMTs that are over 80 and still active. We also have some support personnel probably in their late 80s. Right now, we just had a, a lady that was in her early 90s step back because of coronavirus, and she was an administrative individual. But um, it's hard to say. We've got so many. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. It doesn't matter because you, you guys are amazing at what you do, and, and I've just been honored to, to speak with you and learn a little bit more about you. It's, it's truly a great agency, so well-run. And, and I couldn't be happier for you guys winning this award. And, and I also, I have one other thing jotted down here that there are 65 married couples that belong to the agency, correct? I think so. I think so. <laughs> and we've got mothers, fathers, sons, 
sisters. It's a family affair, definitely. So great. Well, Mike and Robin, I, I, I can't thank you enough for coming on. Once again, congratulations on this very well-deserved award. You folks are an inspiration. It's a breath of fresh air. And I, I just applaud you for your efforts. And I, I hope that you continue to lead the way you do. Because as I said, it sets a great example for so many different folks. Thank you. Well, thank you for for us to tell our story. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys, for coming on. And thank you for listening. This is another episode of EMS World Podcast. Stay tuned for our next episode. Again, I'm your host, Mike McCabe. See you soon. This has been an episode of EMS World Podcast. You can find this audio and more like it on the podcast page of emsworld.com. You can also follow EMS World on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram.